0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: gtp keeper radio listeners and guests it's 7 p.m central 8 p.m eastern and sometime tomorrow for all of our friends and listeners in australia it's sunday december sixth, 270 days into the pandemic of 2020 i'm bill stiegel one of your co-hosts for our yes 30th episode of gtp keeper radio with me as always have my co-host mr buddy Bashemi. buddy how are you my friend Bill, good evening. I am doing well,
2: and I wanted to just say happy birthday to you.
1: Well, thank you very much. We're a few hours short. It is my birthday in Australia. The uh, Australian happy birthdays have already started coming in, and I've already uh, had some happy birthdays on social media uh, from friends and listeners of the show, and it's, it's a great feeling, so thank you very much. You are
2: welcome. Um, so uh, the East Coast right now, its win- it feels like winter. It's below freezing in the evenings, upper to mid-40s, and very windy, and I don't like it. Please tell me it's better where you are, Bill.
1: It's, it's definitely better. I've been keeping an eye on your temperatures up there because last week, um, or early, yeah, last week, I shipped an animal up to Gary in New Jersey, and so um, I was, yes, definitely very aware of your temperatures, weather conditions up there. It was very close on the shipping window, um, but the animal made it up there safe and sound, so that's a blessing, and uh, yeah, I'm sure it's not going to get any warmer for you guys up there.
2: It doesn't appear that it's going to be that way for a while, so winter is here. Um, And it's a good thing because today, Bill, is the day. The first weekend of December is the traditional weekend that I take the Diamond Pythons out of the snake room and move them into my breezeway area of my house. So they will slowly be dropped starting starting tonight into the mid-60s and over the next month down to the mid-50s so the beginning 10 hours of a nice hot spot of about 86 to 88 and uh 14 hours with no heat
1: with overnight lows to the 55 degree range uh, uh, that's amazing and unbelievable um for those of us that don't keep diamonds so you move the the animals and their cages right from your yes like, from your basement right you keep your your animals in the Correct. basement into the breezeway where your ambient temperatures decrease, but you still keep your heat panels on.
2: That's correct. So I have a programmable uh, uh, propane-fueled heater, and so uh, I bring the temperatures down slowly. So this evening there'll be like 65, 66, 65, and so I'll slowly bring it down. But then during the day, I do bring the... the, uh, Room ambience back up to the like mid mid upper 60s. That way the heat panels aren't working too terribly hard. But
1: um, yep. So you don't you don't consider you don't brumate those animals then, or do you consider that a no brumation? I uh, I don't know to be honest with
2: you. I know it's definitely not a hibernation, but um, it's definitely maybe it is a brumation. I don't know the technical term, but it's um, the kind of the standard uh, husbandry that the folks that have been really successful with these animals like Josh Easter and Gary Vale, this is kind of what they have, how they've kind of uh, overwintered them. Um, there was some stuff in the past where people thought that you had to kind of hibernate them and almost not give them any heat and do all that yeah. type of crazy stuff and essentially give them a, put them in a century deprivation tank. Um, yeah, but we know that they yeah. actively bask in the winter and they're in the wild and they they're able to bring their temperatures up. So uh, it's pretty amazing that, you know, they, they do this. Um, I played around a, a bit with them uh, with the heat, heat gun at night. And it's, it's funny because um, their temperatures don't drop that fast. Like they seem to be able to retain heat they, and they do in the mornings, like when they're in the 55 degree range, um, I'd say within like 20 minutes of being under the heat panel, they're like in the mid nineties,
0: Mm, it's wow. amazing.
1: Do you feed them at all so, during, this, during n- this period? I do not. Yeah, and I actually yeah, stopped
2: different. feeding six weeks ago, so <laughs> okay, um, so they won't be fed again until uh, spring. So the whatever the weekend preceding the March 21st, uh, uh, the official spring, they'll be moved back down to the reptile room, um, returned to a 12 on 12 off heat cycle. And uh I'll resume uh uh feeding and then for the animals that I'm gonna breed I'll do the breeding and then the feeding.
1: It's such an odd odd concept for those of us that, you know, only work with the warmer warmer species animals, you know, like green trees, balls, I mean, it seems like everything except diamond pythons that are that are marilia. So it's it's very interesting to, you know, to hear that to hear that journey. And I know this is what your second year to do it?
2: This is my second year with breeding. This is, uh, uh, these animals came in, in 2015. And so, um, which was the spring of 15 and the summer of 15. And then the, that, the, that fall into the winter of 16 was the first time I, I did the, uh, the cool down and, and all those things. So they've been, they're used to it, but it's really the, the second year that I'm actually have the intent of breeding them after they come through this cycle.
1: Yeah. Very, very cool. Can't wait to see, to see uh, the results of that and and keep up with your progress. Thank you. Okay. Uh, All right. Tonight we're happy to welcome two Florida guys who I have a lot of respect for. Uh, We're going to be talking about their history of course with condros and their collections. And then buddy, you came up with a great idea we're just going to spend, I think, probably a lot of the evening discussing our favorite things uh, about green tree, green tree animals and uh, and their husbandry. So I think it's going to make for kind of an interesting and kind of a, a, a different show.
2: I agree. And um, I'm going to be completely honest, Bill. You know that um, I do a lot of outdoor stuff, which includes uh, backpacking. Um, yeah. And I I do other outside of the reptile world. I do listen to some backpacking podcasts and um, I also watch a little bit of YouTube with backpacking and um, they are all, it's a very equipment heavy outdoor activity. And um, so one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to, actually, they they do this every year um, and they kind of go through all of their, favorite stuff that they use throughout the year or maybe the stuff that they um, stopped using but came back to because it was a a favorite of theirs. And so it kind of made me think, well, maybe we could do this with uh, with condros because we are kind of an equipment heavy hobby as well.
1: Yeah, for sure, and it seems like it's getting uh, even more that way as more choices for the hobbyists and the breeders are becoming available. You know, we've got we've got a lot of choices, and so I think it's perfect timing to to do that theme.
2: Fantastic.
1: All right, so without further ado, let's get on Frank Gaton and Greg Waltz. Uh, how you doing, guys?
3: Good, good. How you guys doing?
1: We're good. Thanks, man. It's great to have you guys on. Um, you know, thanks so much for taking out a couple hours on your Sunday evening to join us.
4: Our my pleasure.
1: Definitely. Uh you know, first off,
3: happy birthday. Happy third year, <laughs> I've heard.
1: <laughs> thank you, my friend. You can add a couple of decades on that and then some. But uh thank you very much. <laughs> Well let's let's get into it. You guys kinda know the drill. I think you've probably at least listened to one or two episodes before. Uh Greg, let let's start with you. Um why don't you give us just a couple of minutes uh history of yourself? Um I know you were recently on um Tiberia's um YouTube channel, right?
4: Yeah, I was. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah, I congratulations. Yeah, appreciate yeah. it. Thanks posted it today it was, it was that was
1: cool it's fun to do yeah it was a great little clip so why don't you kind of uh recap that tell us a little bit about uh yourself how you got into green trees and and all that stuff okay
4: so i got into green trees i mean i i'd always had reps house for most of my life but i i didn't really take the jump into uh chondros until 2011
0: and uh i oh
4: sorry about that i uh I basically didn't follow any of the rules with condros. I, I got my first one at a Repticon in like Sarasota. Um, Steven
1: Saltzman is going to a, be so disappointed. <laughs>
4: he's rolling his eyes right now, but uh, uh, so I bought, it, it was sold to me as a Cyclops. It was a, a yellow neonate, but it was already about a year and a half old. Um, it was like $400 or something. And I mean, like this is textbook what not to do. I, I bought it, I put it in a exoterra with a heat <laughs> lamp and I was very confused as to why I was not getting complete sheds out of this animal. <laughs> okay. I mean I'm surprised it, it survived. But uh I finally found the forums, I changed everything and it ended up being an amazing snake. Um so I took that snake with me to college and then I discovered, you know, Rico's uh, website, Signal Herb, and uh, I saw there was Kofio on there, and I, I'd never seen anything like it in my life, and that was really like my first love into chondros. When I saw that Kofio, I said, I need to have a Kofio. It's amazing. And I'd never seen anything like it, so I called Rico. I'd never spoken to him before. I just saw the telephone number, so I called him one night, and he said he didn't have any Kofio, but his good buddy, Chuck Vogel, has Kofiow So I called Chuck and uh, that was in two thousand late two thousand eleven, early two thousand twelve. Um, and he had one available and he sold it to me for um, it's been so many years and I'm sure he won't care, but it's it was uh fourteen fifty <laughs> is what he sold it. Me. One thousand four hundred fifty dollars. Captive bread Oh yeah pure pure I mean captive bread, yeah it was oh, bread it himself yeah, so I, I met him up at like a gas station in central Florida somewhere, and I picked it up. Um, and he was, he's such a great guy. I mean, he I had trouble, you know, feeding it because um, Kofi are kind of notorious, you know, pain in the butt feeders um, from the get go. So he would come over my apartment and help me feed the snake, and he got it he going oh, wow. for me. I mean, wow. it was like, you know, he, he was babysitting me basically. So I owe him a lot. Um, and then I ended up getting another one from him. So I had a pair, I had a male and a female. Um, and then when I left college in 2014, um, I needed money. So regrettably I sold off all my snakes, which is probably the biggest regret I have is, is letting those two Kofiago. Luckily I sold one, I sold one of them back to Chuck. Um, and he called that one buyback number two. <laughs> and he right because he he had, someone else he he had another buyback buyback number one and it was just some guy who was upset that the snake didn't stay yellow so Chuck bought it back. wow <laughs> but buyback number two ended up producing a clutch so the snake I sold him back produced the clutch for him uh, in 2016 and recently I'd say maybe six months ago um, I finally got my hands on a on a male Kofi about four years old from Chuck. And wow! The great. Sire of that snake, and the sire of that snake that I bought from Chuck is buyback number two. So I used to oh own wow the sire to the snake I got. So now the hunt is on for a female, which uh, I'm not going to hold my breath for. Them, but wow, um, I, but, you know I, they're just really hard to come by.
1: So you're a locality guy, huh?
4: That's how I got started. But I mean, <laughs> on that copia was the only locality animal I have. You know, and then. And then I saw, you know, the snake, like, 05188, which happens to be, that's my all-time, you know. And as soon as I saw that snake, I said, man, I, I need to get some designer stuff. And then and then it was off to the races. So, um, that's awesome. so I started, yeah.
1: That's an awesome story about getting an animal from an animal that you purchased and then sold back. I mean, that's just fantastic. I know.
4: Yeah, it kind of went full circle, so that was it was kind of cool. And then right, I I talked with Chuck very. He's a nice guy, so I know if, if there's ever a female that comes up, if he ever has one, hopefully uh, I can snag one because I, I really want to keep the Kofi out. You know. You, know, keep you know, I don't want I don't want to cross it with anything. Yeah, yeah, because it's you know they're really really hard to come by. So
1: I mean, I'm a I am a dirty designer Frankenstein but if I can think of one locality that I would never cross into a designer project, it'd be copia. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Do we have agreement from the four of us? I, I <laughs> think Frank.
3: Well, three of us.
1: <laughs> three of us. Frank?
3: Yeah. 100%. Plus red and yellow makes green. <laughs> That's right.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So – um, how I got started with it um now I have twenty uh, something snakes, and almost all of them have some sort of blue line genetics in them. um I have a couple of very all, all of my nicest snakes I might add came from Frank, <laughs> so got I give <laughs> frank credit he's a, he's a breeding machine down there you know, know he he's he's
3: someone it, right now, now. Yeah. so
4: I always come up with an excuse to go over and drink vodka and look at
1: the conjure collection yeah that's awesome that's why we thought it'd be a great idea to have you two guys on together and um so frank i know you're you're out there you've made a couple of comments thanks for coming on why don't you give us a a quick intro um, about yourself and maybe what what you're keeping and how you met greg and what kind of your your and greg's connection are down there in florida
3: well, first off, thank you for having me here, and uh, glad to be here on the uh, show with uh, Greg as well, one of my best friends and also great conjure keeper. Um awesome. I got into green tree pythons at least fifteen years ago. Prior to that, like everyone who I'm sure is listening was a lifelong uh, herper. Whether it um, whether it's lizards, whether it's snakes, whatever we hid in our closet till our parents found out about it. But I got into green tree pythons at least 15 years ago. Um, originally from a local importer, actually called Strictly Reptiles. You know, I got to Maru's and Cyclops Animals. And mainly I was captivated by those uh, blue dorsal stripes. And then I found out, I was like, wait, they could be all blue? So hmm. naturally I... I saw um, Rico and his animals, O five one and 8, you know, all descendants of uh, Mr. Blue, and I was captivated. And from there, you know, I, I switched over from going from locality animals, our rules, and cyclops, to high-end animals, and uh, I never looked back.
1: Very nice. How, how many animals are in your collection right now, Frank?
3: Um. In reality, about thirty,
1: and you know, I tell the wife about fifteen. <laughs> Speaking of oh, the wife, congrats, congratulations! You're recently married. I
3: understand. Yes, thank you, thank you.
1: Yes, congratulations, my friend.
3: I appreciate it.
1: So, is your wife?
3: Frank,
2: is, uh, go ahead, buddy. Nope, go ahead. It sounds like you're going to ask the same uh, question uh, I was uh, going to ask.
3: Oh uh, well, <laughs> probably
1: not. I was just gonna ask if his if his wife uh was was into the animals at all or if you had to drag her along.
3: Not into the animals but you know, just like anyone else, once you see them you can't help but be a fan. You know, yeah. first from the moment you look at Zeus coming out of that of that tub to the moment you see your first little you know, when they pop out of the egg, I don't think there's a way that you can't be a fan. Yeah, for sure.
2: So, Frank, we're going to – you know, the theme is our most favorite chondro-related things. And um, I think it's appropriate that we start off with what our favorite chondro is right now. I know this thing – sometimes it changes over time. But for you, Frank, what is your favorite chondro right now?
3: Okay. So, favorite chondro. Now – you have to let me elaborate on this. My favorite conjo sure. of all time has to be SH05188, bred by Rico Walder. The my favorite all time uh, conjo breeder as well. Rest in peace. I love the guy and he taught me a lot of what I currently know. Um, 05188, you know he's um, grandson of Mister Blue, which would probably be the Most famous and most renowned um, conjure of all time because I'm a huge fanatic of blue line conjures. And if it doesn't have Mr. Blue in it, it's not blue line. (laughs) Jokes and my favorite conjure of all. But aside from that, it's actually Zeus, who's a son of SHO 5188 um, so, you had 05188, who was the son of Mr. Blue, the Carolina male, bred to um, a PNG animal. That's what created Zeus. And for me, that's the epitome of Blue Line, as well as his siblings, which you own a few of, and all those outcrosses as well. And huge, huge, huge fan of anything that's Mr. Blue Carolina, anything from coming from Sky to Mojo to Smurfat. And the list goes on and on and on and on. All the cousins, nephews, nieces, all of them under that umbrella.
2: It, it's a, uh, Zeus is an amazing animal. And if you are listening to us live, I will tell you that I just posted a photo of Zeus on the Morelia viridis forum, Facebook. So you can see Frank's most favorite condo and, uh, I can tell you he has amazing taste because uh, that, you know, looking at this animal, um, I I would definitely be very near the top for me.
1: Bill, what do you think? Wow. I just saw that picture you posted. And, um, you know, if I have to pick a favorite blue line animal, I mean, I, I would have to, I would have to agree. Zeus is, I don't see how it gets much better than that. I mean, it's, it's blue and it's got some black speckling in it with yellow dorsal <laughs> diamonds. So, you know, wh- where else am I going to go with that? Uh, my, that is my favorite blue line animal ever produced.
2: Yeah, it's it's an amazing animal. So, uh, Greg, if you had to pick your most favorite chondro, which chondro
4: would that be? Oh man it's a loaded question but i think uh <laughs> i think 0- 05188 is is kind of on at the top of my list um sh05188 um but i mean there's there's so many i mean everest is on that list too i think yeah. um i'm not i'm not i don't know if everest is is alive anymore or not but you know that that snake is incredible zeus of course um And I'm going to throw out another one that I think is really nice. Uh, The black headed canary. Um, Mm, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Black headed. I think that is such a unique looking snake. I I haven't seen anything like it since. Although I do know that
3: redhead. I shout out to our favorite redhead, Gabby Shavina. So that's,
4: I mean, I know Clyde Claus has a really cool looking snake at his house called uh, odd job. It's, It's, yeah like ninety percent black, which is really 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 cool um or you know i I'd also be happy with literally anything that dave d has at his house that's for sure
3: oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like he's <laughs> at the
4: top of the list of like collections right now in my opinion, so he has a really nice um uh martial female that I know Frank and I both have uh some animals uh from that was actually bred to zeus's brother, which is almost just as blue as Zeus is, so um, that's a tough choice, you know.
1: Very so, nice. very so nice. hard, so hard to choose. Yeah. I agree. Um, okay, Bill,
2: so your turn to tell us who your favorite Condro is at the moment.
1: Yeah, this one, uh, I thought a lot about this one, and, um, you know, I, I ended up going with one of Pedro's animals that he produced in 2019, the one that he calls Forest. And can I hold uh, you know, right there for a second, Bill? Yeah, you bet. Sure.
2: Is it's not a yellow neonate, is it?
1: Uh, no. no. Okay. Because
2: I just, all right, because I just want to make sure we weren't really, you know, we know how Pedro is about certain things.
0: Yeah. I was about yeah, to, so want to make sure.
1: Okay. <laughs> although although the the um the dam to that clutch was a lyra, who I believe is an anim- is a yellow animal.
2: Interesting.
1: I, I think that that I may be wrong with that. I, I know he produced mosaic to to two different females. One was a Lyra and I think one was an Aru. So I guess maybe the Lyra was, was a red was a red female. Um, Hmm. but, but anyway, I I went with forest, uh, paid to reproduce him in 2019. And I, and I chose an animal for, for several different reasons. Obviously one is because melanism is my favorite designer, um, cross. I love, I love the high blue stuff. I love the calico stuff, but melanistic obviously hit, hits home for me on a lot of different levels. So I wanted to go with the melanistic animal. And uh, secondly, you know, the name Forrest, uh, obviously Forrest Fanning uh, was one of my very good friends, a very good friend of Pedro. Pedro, of course, named the animal after Forrest Fanning after we lost him uh, earlier this gotcha, year. Okay. Um, so that was another reason. And then my final reason is that I think, I think Pedro's animal, Mosaic, is the most influential animal that we have seen In my generation of chondro keeping, Um, in other words, um, he has produced uh, animals consistently from multiple females, a red female, a yellow female, and it doesn't matter what mosaic breeds with, he's a red dominant producer. All of his babies are reds, and they seem to have all just turned out unbelievably crazy it's mosaic would be what I would uh, consider really the only new line animal that we have seen since blue line calico, uh, animals. I wouldn't really consider any other line animals, uh, at least since I've been keeping green trees other than mosaic, I think he deserves to be considered a line. I think his offspring um, are so unique, um, that, you know, you can just add mosaic line with blue line, and, you know, the other uh, very limited lines of, of chondros uh, out there. So that's my pitch. I agree. Yeah,
4: I, I agree with Greg. I, I agree, too. Um, Mosaic, I mean, he hit the jackpot with Mosaic. I mean, you put that snake with anything, like you said, and you're just going to get an amazing result every time. So you hit, you hit the nail on the head for sure.
1: Yeah, such a – and what what a what a great score for the for the for Pedro and of course the entire uh, Condor community. It's it's what dreams are made of, you know, when he yep. he acquired that animal and bred <laughs> it and just you know crazy crazy stuff came out.
3: Yeah.
1: The only downside is that they
3: not coming
1: over the U.S. Pedro. Yeah. Just a few. I've a lot. A lot. Okay, buddy, uh, you're. You're, you brought up the question, your last answer. What's your favorite designer?
2: Okay. So I will say that, you know, everybody picked some amazing animals. And so I picked an animal that I think – I don't know if it's – I would consider still as amazing as it was, but I picked one that is uh, directly in, intertwined with me personally. Um, and I also picked this animal because it kind of set the ball in motion for – Selective breeding, high-end chondros, and it has to be uh, a snake produced by my good friend Tim Morris, which is Mister Blue. Um, yeah. You know,
0: uh,
2: you know, just being, you know, being there on that clutch hatch, seeing Tim establish those animals, me not buying that animal, um, <laughs> and uh, as a neonate, um, and then seeing what it turned into, and then, but then. Just knowing that it wasn't kind of a one of, it was able to uh, be refined, and it, it, his bloodline is still active today, as you know uh, we've already talked about through uh, most of the or some of the animals mentioned earlier in the show. So that's why I picked him.
1: Can't go wrong there, man. Just can't can't go wrong there. Did you yeah, get Mr. a chance, buddy? Buddy, did you get a chance to post any of the animals that we uh, that uh, we talked about? I, I know you you posted Zeus. They are
2: they are all up. They're all up nice. on the Morelia viridis forum page. You can take a look, um, see which one uh, is your favorite. I would have a really hard time picking, to be honest with you. So I would do my typical uh, Buddy Buscemi selection process and select all four.
0: Well,
1: what did you say, Frank?
3: I was like, well, Mr. Blue is the source, in my opinion. Every single yeah. animal that I love is a descendant or relative of that animal, which is why I also mentioned him as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm surprised, buddy. Well, I guess you could have, I, I thought maybe somebody would have mentioned um, Greg Maxwell Calico, which would have been, what was the first one called?
2: Uh, Calico, uh, the computer Conjo. Well, computer
3: yeah, computer yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the interesting I somebody, fact is when you look at all of those, they're all related as well. It's the blue yeah. and computer conjo, So, that's why Mr. Blue, and I mentioned earlier, all of his descendants and cousins and nieces and nephews, all the above. That's a,
1: that's a good point, and we've made the analogy several times on the show that there's got to be some kind of relationship between um, melanistic and blue animals. that They just seem to cross yes. over a lot.
2: Uh, yeah, I, think,
4: I, I agree Bill. I think there's a correlation. Yeah, I mean m- most most of the blue line animals have some melanism on them. Uh,
0: specifically
4: like around the neck area, I've noticed is where it yeah. seems to hang around the melanism. Like Zeus has it. Um I have animals over yep. here that you know are related to to Zeus and 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 Zeus's brother Hades that that Frank has uh and they all have some degree of melanism around their their dorsal, you know, neck area as well, so definitely related somehow
1: yeah and and a lot of the melanistic animals have blue in them as well so yeah yep yep okay um we're going to shift gears and i know really all of us are very heavily designer um focused but we all know that there would not be any designer animals out there without locality without locality chondros so let's go through and do um, what what our favorite locality is. And um, why don't we, Frank, why don't we start with you? What, what is your favorite locality type animal? And tell us, tell us why you like it. Well,
3: being that I love uh, blue line and anything blue, the first conjure I ever had was actually a very high blue sarong animal um, that I bought from a local importer, uh, Strictly Reptiles. So I actually had that male, and I had our animals and Cyclops animals, Manawari. So that's where my love for the blue line started from. So those would be my favorite, you know, anything that has high blue or the potential up. And then I learned red was better than yellow. So anything that <laughs> produced red neonates, you know, is just going to produce the the best neonates, in my opinion, ever.
1: Okay, awesome. And, and do you have a sarong animal in your collection now?
3: I wish I did, but um, once I turned toward um, the high-end animals and I started buying animals from Rico and a few other of the breeders around there, I actually moved away from having locality animals and focused mainly on the Mr. Blue Carolina um, animals and trying to preserve that bloodline. I think we okay. have some high of the highest concentration of South animals in the world, and unfortunately, there aren't many around. So you know, I just try to focus on preserving them and the uh bloodline as well.
1: Okay, very good, uh, Greg. What about you? I mean, I guess maybe you've already told us. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, maybe I, I'm wrong. I, I, well, no, I mean Kofi. <laughs> I,
4: if I had, you know, for sure, Kofi I was, by far my 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 favorite locality um, but they're just so so dang hard to get so um, I only have one but you know if, if I had to choose a second maybe Wamina something that crosses well with the blue line stuff um, I have a I, I recently got an animal from from John Irby that I posted um, the other day and it's it's a blue Deuce little stevie uh, and crossed to Wamina so you know I, I like having some crosses, just so the so you're not breeding yourself into a corner. Sometimes, um, so not not everything is like pure pure blue line, you know. So we, I think it's important to do some crosses, uh, you know, every now and then, just to mix up the blood a little bit.
1: Okay, very good, uh, buddy. What about you? <laughs> so um,
2: this is a tough question. Um, initially when we, when I first did this outline, my thought was BIOC only because I think just by themselves, they tend to, they're very, they have a lot of variation and, Mm -hmm. um, I think they bring a lot of things to the table, whether you decide to work with pure BIOCs or if you're, you know, what Greg had just talked about, if you're looking to maybe, incorporate an outcross project, um, they would be high on my list. But I would say if I had to select today, and just based upon what is not available now, I would I would select the same locality that Greg has, and that would be a Kofi owl. Uh, wow. I would like to have some pure Kofi owls in my collection. And they
1: would also okay. fit in
2: nicely with some lemon tree projects I'm doing as well. So, oh, my God. Yes. But, uh, but, yeah, but oh, I would man. love to have some Kofi owls.
1: Okay. Uh, let me ask you, what about you, Bill? Well, I was going to follow up on your question, buddy. Let's say you weren't breeding for a locality. What, let's say you were, you wanted to, uh, breed a locality into your blue blue line project. What would it be?
2: Um, I would right now today, I would go for red manic quarries. um, if you could find a red job, Hora um I, I would I would probably go that route. If I could find uh uh red cyclops, uh true captive born and bred, I would, those would probably be the three that I would choose immediately uh from the beginning if that if I were going to go with a blue line type animal with an outcross project.
1: Okay. Fantastic.
2: And uh, what about you bill what What would be your favorite locality? What would you most desire or what would you like to have?
1: well, I guess you you kind of answered or I kind of answered my own question when I asked you because my answer was going to be uh, a red baby manicory. and that um and that just comes from the fact I love the way they look I think uh, gary has gary David Brahms has oh, yeah. Both of those guys have really um, produced some stellar-looking animals on their own, and they've shown to carry uh, melanism, you know, just in their own own right, pretty consistently. So I think, you know, I think Manicori would be my my favorite locality type. Can we bring
3: up the six uh, yeah. animals and how much I think they will? Um, Contribute to the 05188 bloodline Uh, One female over here Daughter Well not daughter Sibling to the siblings,
0: Which I I
3: highly highly regard And the stuff that you've been producing Over there Bill And fingers crossed Hoping 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 to breed what you've been putting out there towards the 0518 animals. As much as I love black, I think the sickness bloodline contributes that. And if you don't get blue, you get black, and either way, it's a win-win situation.
1: Yeah, I know you have that animal over there, and I'm super stoked to see what you do with it this year or next year, whatever, whatever you decides best.
3: What are you planning with the uh, sickness animals over there? What um... What do you have planned
1: for the future with them? Well, it's it's still early. I, I haven't really done a lot of breeding uh, this year. I'm still this is my first year in the facility, and I'm still getting temps established here. And I've had some weird temperature swings, and so I'm I'm still really kind of you know getting things established for, for later this year. In my breeding season will will start. Later, obviously, because I'm in the south like you guys. So, mm-hmm. um, but I do I do have a female red um baby or animal. She's six years old this year, so she should be ready to go. So I'm I'm thinking about plugging her in, and then I'm going to be doing some repeat pairings um, from a couple of years ago. So totally looking forward yeah, to keep the melanistic stuff uh, stuff coming along. Hey Bill, I saw, um,
4: I think I think you posted a picture a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was a month ago or so. But yeah, ha- it was like two uh, of the sickness uh, animals, and one was a was a female. But it, it held, it still has, it's like almost completely black. Is that, is that snake? You know, is it still looking that way, or are you expecting it to, to keep most of that black? Do you think?
1: Yeah, you know, the sickness. I ended up with 15 babies from the sickness, and they kind of went through the whole spectrum. Um I, I mm-hmm. had a few babies that looked like the mother was a blue Cyclops, but I'm convinced that she is not, you know, even though she was blue, she's she's transferring her crates more like just a, a straight cyclops animal, which looked mm-hmm. awesome. So I've seen a couple of babies mm-hmm. that look like that. Um I've seen a couple of babies that look a very dark green. Um I've seen a couple of babies that look army green. Um, and then, you know, probably five or six of the animals are are just black. You know, they're, wow. they're 50 to 80% black. So, wow. and, and they're almost wow. two, two years old now. And so I, I've got a really good, um, I think they've got a really good chance of maintaining that black. The sickness was finished changing when he was, by the time he was two, except for his head. His head turned green um after he was two years old but his body was pretty much done by the time he was two so i'm I'm Uh, optimistic you know with the animals i have here and and i will definitely do a brother sister pairing of the two highest black sickness babies um when the time comes wow and did you did you hold most of the back Uh, i know it's funny i didn't I, i had 15 babies uh, I kept five back. I have four in my possession. Buddy has one, um, but I, I sold. I sold the other ten.
4: Wow. Well, you you, you held back the the, mo- the most black ones, I assume, right?
1: Well, you know, I sold some of them before they even started to change. Um, oh, okay. But, but from what I can tell, I did a pretty good job of keeping holding <laughs> back the five the five that are here. Yeah.
4: Yeah, decide which ones to let go because then you might see it two years down the road and kick yourself for letting it go. You know, that's, that's always my big worry. You know, uh,
1: there's believe me, there's at least two out there that I would I'm kicking <laughs> myself over. Um, <laughs> but you know, I've always been one to release a lot of my animals. I mean, that's just the way that I am for for different reasons, for personal reasons. Um, I want to I want to get them out there. I want to get the animals I mean you know it just kind of helps really my reputation to get good animals out there into the hands of a lot of different people sure. mm-hmm. and I want to see what what people do with them you know I want to spread kind of spread the genetics out and so I, I, I don't have any regrets about releasing whatever I released yeah I agree
0: yeah. that's great
1: uh, before we move away from locality stuff I have to give Gary, somebody gave gave Gary a shout out earlier, but none of us are are really locality gurus. Um, But if anybody that's listening or anybody has a desire to learn more about localities, you've got to watch Gary's YouTube videos. He's got two parts on locality animals, and he does just an incredible job about bringing um, really the most recent scientific taxonomy um, information uh, you know, to people that keep or are interested in green trees. I thought he did a phenomenal job discussing um, Marillia viridis, Marillia zuria, and the zuria subspecies. I don't know. Hopefully you guys have watched that, but I thought he just did an incredible job with it.
4: Yeah, I watched it the other day, actually. So, he goes and, you can tell he puts a lot of time into his videos. You know, he's he, he keeps you entertained. It's fun, and it's, you know, he has all these good ideas, and he gets, you know, uh, his his wife involved, which is kind of fun too. So uh.
3: you couldn't deal with a better person. And let me tell you, when I was first starting out in conjo, she was one of the first people that I interacted with. Uh, would not hesitate to answer any one of my questions, you know, just to shoot the shit, or whether it was a tough, um problem with my animals, you know, trying to bring different type of treatments, you know, outside the box and everything else just a pleasure to deal with and I highly recommend them to anyone who's looking uh, to get into green tree right python.
1: Yeah, for sure. Just, uh, yep. Yeah. He's you know, awesome I just, I, you know, I just thought his, that, that in particular, those two videos really did a great job. He didn't try to, you know, get too much in or, you know, try to get some crazy theories about stuff. He told it the way it was, a lot of stuff's unknown. Um, but you know, he, he just kind of told it the way it was in pretty simplistic terms, and I thought they were just great.
2: Agreed. So um, let's we'll start with you, Frank, for the next question. So, you know, you have this amazing Chondro Zeus. Um, what is your favorite uh, dog cage company or builder that you use to house your Chondro's?
3: Um, We use pvccages.com for all the adult cages. You know, they're three by two by twos for the larger girls and two by two by twos for the smaller ones and um, the males. And I just want to point out there that Zeus belongs to Brian Collins, one of my best friends, and Mm, so do a few of the other animals that we work with uh, today. You know, it's a joint venture. Well,
1: nice. CVC cages. That's that's your go-to.
3: Um, for the adult enclosures, yes. Yeah, I'll um, just uh. For the juvenile cages, um, we, we use Hotbox. The same company makes the Hotbox incubators as well as all the racks for all of our juveniles and our uh, neonates.
1: Where are they out of, Frank? Hotbox. Are they out of Florida?
3: Yes, they're in Florida, about 30 minutes from us, not just because of proximity, but they make very high-quality cages, and you'll find them at any of the um, local um, get-togethers that you find in the area.
1: Excellent.
2: What about you, Greg?
4: So my my adult cages are, are actually all boophile cages. Um... And I just, I, I like the fact, honestly, that they come already built, <laughs> okay, um, and uh, and and the quality is really good. It's, it's like a, it's a thicker kind of PVC, and I do like that they have the uh, acrylic doors that open towards you instead of the, uh, the sliding glass uh, that I, I think PVC cages has, but I, I think PVC cages does have an option where you can, um, yes. you know, uh, swing them open. Uh, Frank has that. Um, but I've, yeah. I've had both. I've had TV. I, I started with PVC cages when, when I had a, my collection prior to the collection I have now before I sold it. Um, but both files is just kind of easy to work with and, you know, turnaround time is really good. So I don't really have any complaints. That's what I use for the adults. Um, but, and like Frank said, you know, we use, I use hot box we use hot box incubators. Um, yeah, they're out of Pompano beach. Um, and Chris, uh, the owner, he's, he's the best man. He's, He's a super nice guy, um, and if you've ever seen him at, I I know I'm sure Bill, you've met him and Buddy, but uh, he's, he's like a he's a high roller at these auctions at Tinley and, and Daytona. He's hilarious, man. <laughs> nice. He's, he'll drink, he'll he'll drink and just buy everything. It's so funny. <laughs> so, so, I was I always look forward to seeing him at, at the shows. I know we have a good time. Um, so,
1: that's great. It means a lot to. Um it means a lot to, you know, to, to bring back, put back in the community. So that's great to hear. Yeah,
4: absolutely. Yeah. Any,
1: and he sponsors, uh, the, uh, Southeast Carpet
4: Fest, uh, show, I know he always donates to, to that as well. I know a lot of people do. So
0: yeah.
4: Always- Very good.
2: Very good. And so Bill, I think I know, I know, I think I know the answer to your question to your cage company, I think well <laughs> I, but you may I, I, you may I, surprise me
1: well i'm going to start off by saying that 95 percent of my adult cages are from ppcages.com. um much like uh much like frank um i think they're awesome cages they i mean i've produced you know just so many animals and kept so many many animals in those cages they're they, uh, they they're shipped great. They're put together well. They hold humidity and temperature well. Um, so, you know, I, I I use those those cages really for for a decade or longer. Um, but I have Thanks. recently come across what I just consider the creme de la creme of arboreal cages. Um, and I, I just, I've i got several of their cages now. They're Focus Cube Habitat Cages. It's a company that's in Houston, which is only about three or four hours from me. And I've gotten to know uh, the owners of the company, uh, Stephen and Ashley. Howdy. And they are uh, – their cages are just unbelievable. I mean, they are um, – uh, just uh, design-wise, functionality-wise, and aesthetic-wise, you just look at them, and it, they're almost too good because, you you know, you miss the animal inside because the cages are so, <laughs> just so top-end and so eye-appealing and eye-candy that uh, they're just amazing. So uh, if you're on a budget, I would say hit up um, com if money is not an option – then, you know, I would really look at the Focus Cube Habitat uh, cages for, for adults.
3: It's funny you mentioned that because I recently saw the uh, Camber Tub setups that they started making for the juveniles. Yeah. And they look amazing. It makes me want to switch to those for my juvenile setups. They've done a great job with it. I haven't personally owned one, but I definitely want to uh, add some in my collection
1: yeah I can tell you they're just not uh, they don't just look good in their pictures. I mean, you see the product and you just go, holy shit you know this is this is the next level of um you know keeping uh, animals and they build all sorts of stuff. they build custom stuff, they build terrestrial cages, arboreal cages racks i mean they're they've really taken it to the next level functionality and just design-wise and, you know, stuff that's totally out of the box and like incorporating a thermostat into the cage, you know, just, just stuff yeah. that, just, just super high-end stuff. And I, I really, I've I really enjoyed keeping the animals and the stuff that I have so far. And buddy, what about you? You asked the question. So, what is the master cage? Right. Animals in. <laughs> yeah, I I have
2: a you know I, don't, I have to say this I don't have um a particular like my snakes are in different cages um uh, I I will say that my I was going to tell you my runner up would be uh Neo Dasher cages um they they were <laughs> under the name NPI for a while but they made I don't even think they're available anymore but they made arboreal cage
1: I was going to say, you can't name something um, that you can't even get anymore.
2: I know. <laughs> um, and uh, they make the sliding front cages, and they kept condors in the 36-inch uh, sliding fronts. And I really like them. Uh, and one of the reasons Greg has alluded to as well is uh, you they come, and they're together. So you just uh, put your heating element in, and you put, your cage, you put your snake in there, and it's ready to go. Um And as a matter of fact, I still have, uh, four, uh, 48 inchers that I use for my diamond pythons. So they, they last a long time. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, like they they were like the original plastic cage company, uh, before like PVC came on. But I would say if I'd have, you know, for a company, pvccages.com, um, that's what I use. That's commercially available. Um everything else I have has been just been made by people that have offered to make me cages in the past with pvccages.com um that that's what I've used um so it sounds like almost a consensus here yeah
1: <laughs> hard to go wrong hard to go wrong with those that's a Jim Shawhorn right Is that his name? Jim Sharphorn yes Jim Sharp. Sharphorn yeah. Sharphorn yeah
3: yes yep yep
1: He's been doing it uh, a and long as much, time. As,
3: as much Great as uh, I just like to build cages, nothing, uh, some beers or some martinis uh, won't solve. <laughs>
0: That's
1: <is> true.
3: <laughs> you, you know <laughs> that from personal <laughs> experience. 30 huh? minutes to help me build some cages.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs>
3: All right,
1: let's keep going with our favorite stuff, guys. Um, favorite rack and rack system. And I think um, uh, both Greg and Frank, do you, you like the, the hot box? He, he does your rack system? Nothing. Yes. Yes, Greg?
4: Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I thought that was Frank's question. Um, yeah, so for, for racks, yeah, I have Sea Serpents racks. Um, I do have some actually some Reptile Basics racks. Um, that they don't make anymore, and I kind of wish they did because I it, it, I love those racks for kind of like yeah. the two to three year old snakes.
1: Yeah, um, I've got I, those. I think yeah, you can't buy them anymore. I think
4: I think they're called. Um, you might know. Are they like? Uh, there's a code. It's like M M D two or L D two or something.
3: Yes. what they were yeah. called.
4: I had two, I and mean, they there have was, three. I've ha- I had the three one, and I I didn't like it because the temperature would just fluctuate so much in that thing and I just couldn't get wow. it right. Um, gotcha. so, but the, but the two, um, the, the, the two stack one is, is, is awesome. I mean, I mean, that thing was like 200, 200, 200 bucks or something like that. I mean, you literally just take it out of the box, plug it in. You're good to go. I mean, they have the heat tape in the back already. Um, and it's a great size. It's not too tall. I mean, I have a, I have a four year old male in one of them right now still. I and mean, he's, He's been in there his whole life, basically since I had him. Yeah. So um, it, it, they're great racks, but unfortunately, they don't make them anymore. So I'm stuck with the ones. But you know, Chris at Sea Servants, you know, he has he has racks readily available. There's there's like no way. I've called him 24 hour notice, and he's I've gone over there and picked up a rack from him. So
1: wow, no complaints on him. Yeah. Wow, that's that's huge uh, to have that turnaround time because that is certainly not the norm in this business. Yeah, I no,
4: especially with, with companies like uh, with Animal Plastics, that's uh, you're waiting like six months for a rack or something. But, I mean, the quality is really good, I think, and it's, it's more custom to what you want, maybe. Um,
1: Buddy, what about you?
2: Um, yeah, you know, I, I have some Sea Serpent racks, and I really like those, but I think my favorite racks that I have hands down are going to be my animal plastic racks. Um,
0: yeah.
2: I do agree. Um, you can't wait to the last moment to decide you need one. Uh, you, you know, you need to have some forward thinking and plan ahead. Um, but I think the in my experience, the quality of the rack and the build, um, is better and not that the materials are better in any way, but it's finished better. The edges are rounded. There's no rough edges. I think, I think there's less discrepancy from the top to the bottom as far as uh, tolerances for the tubs. Um, and you know, those those are small things. And uh, would your snake really know? Absolutely not. But you know, as a keeper, you some of the things you notice and appreciate. So animal plastics for me.
1: Yeah, I've got a handful more than a handful of animal plastic racks that I am primarily keeping uh, royals in um but you're right they they've been around forever they've got great customer service but you just have to know what you're getting into uh when you order one Yes you do
0: <laughs> Or
2: you if you could get them at a show they I I've, I've gotten lucky with that as well where I they, they had what I wanted at a show, and I was able to walk away with it at a show, but that was a, a lucky they happened to have it in the color that I wanted and, and everything. So nice. All right, so we're going to throw something in here, guys, and I, I, I completely left this out of the outline, but I think it's super important um, because I think it. We we need these at least. I need them where I live. Um, let's talk about uh, Frank. We'll start with you. Um, what is your favorite thermostat that you use, either to incubate eggs, run a room system, or individual cages?
3: Favorite thermostat? You guys know which one that's going to be. That's the same one that that um, that we all use. Pro Products heat panels is what I use for my adult enclosures. And um, for my uh, thermostats, I use um, either the regular one in
1: Are you still there, Frank? Maybe we've lost Frank
2: maybe um so
4: we'll 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 have greg go with his choice <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
4: Okay. i'm the I'm, I'm the second choice the runner-up here last <laughs> year. Um, i think frank
1: i think frank may have passed out Maybe, oh, no
4: it, yeah maybe or maybe his phone ran out of battery too that's possible um so for for thermostats uh i you know i use spider, spider robotics you know herp stats um and uh yep. i use pro products heat panels uh i have used Vivarium electronics thermostats um i mean i there's nothing wrong with them but um i do like like having herpstat 4s and stuff uh mostly but i have herpstat 2s and herpstat 4s usually um so just the kind of the popular choice i
3: guess can you guys hear me oh yeah no, you're back buddy <laughs> Sorry. Same thing as Greg, Spider Robotics. I heard him speaking, but I didn't want to cut him off at the moment.
2: Okay. So, so is that your choice, Spider Robotics or yeah, do you use something else? Yeah. The
3: entire house. For
2: the entire house. Um
3: yeah, everything.
2: Awesome. Is there one particular model or is it just uh whatever you need at the particular time?
3: I have the fours, and I have the ones as well, and I find they've all worked well so far. I haven't had any issues. Um, I do recommend though, comparing them uh, with a calibrated digital thermometer, and as well as using um, a regular mercury calibrated thermometer as well, just to um, assure that you have adequate temperatures, because I have had some be a little off in the beginning, but once you calibrate them, assure that they're running on point, they've never failed me.
2: Awesome. Awesome. So, Phil, what about you?
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to go back um, because I didn't get to put my two cents in on the rack system.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be anything earth-shattering. Um but I'm a big fan of the rack system. I mean, I keep a lot of animals, not just green trees. I mean, I keep I keep a bunch of other stuff, and 99% of it's in racks. So I'm a big proponent of racks. I'm a big proponent of rack systems for green trees. I've even bred a female in a rack system. I bred a female a couple of years ago in one of the large Cambro tubs. And uh, she was a small female she did great. So I'm a big fan of rack systems. I'm lucky to have a local guy here. He's, um, he's like family to me at this point. I've known him for 20 years. He got married in my house. Uh, His name's Logan Murray from infinity reptiles. And he can build me essentially any rack I want, whether it's an animal plastics knockoff model or, or a custom rack. Uh, He's built me a lot of custom cambro um, racks, uh, so, you know, he's my go-to guy for racks. Um, but yeah, just basically, I'm a big rack, you know, rack rack guy uh, in general.
3: Can I ask you out of curiosity, what are the dimensions, more or less, on the um, on the tubs of the female that you were able to breed?
1: Buddy, are you familiar with the temps of those big Cambro racks? Because I know you you've used them too. They're
2: the with the the temperatures
1: that are in them, yeah. or no, the dimensions.
2: Oh, uh, the ones that I use are um, eighteen inches deep, fifteen inches tall, and twenty-eight inches wide.
1: Okay, that's
2: those that are the ones that I have.
1: Right, yeah, that sounds about right. Those are the biggest ones that Canberra makes, right? The food service. I think they.
0: I,
2: I think there's a bigger one, Bill, but I don't think it's made by Cambro. I think you can get an 18 by 18 by, by 28, um, but I think it's a different vendor.
1: Okay. No, I think I I think I used the ones that you that you stated there. They're uh, volume-wise probably about the same size as a two-by-two-by-two by two by two cube. They're just a little bit yeah,
3: it seems like it, yeah.
1: longer or wider, depending on how you put them in the rack.
2: I, I like that tub size. I think it's a great tub size for chondras myself. Yeah, me too.
1: Absolutely. And then thermostat-wise, I'm just I'm, – I'm 100% spider robotic, Herbstats. I've got Herbstat 1s all the way up to Herbstat 6s, and um, they rarely have done me wrong. And, and when they do, if, they, if you have a problem with them, most of them have – it's a fuse issue. You can just pop out the fuse, replace the fuse, and that channel works great. If one of the channels shuts down, it doesn't shut down the other one or – three or five channels on the unit uh, you can send the unit back into spider robotics to service it you don't have to just throw it away like you do the vivariums or ranko or you know whatever so I'm it's for me it's just a no-brainer they, they make the best thermostats on the planet I agree. buddy did you did you say your favorite I haven't,
2: and I haven't, and I'm gonna. I I really really like herp sets. As a matter of fact, I had one of the very first uh, herp sets. I believe they're they were called pros when the first four channel came out.
1: Yeah, they were. Um, and I
2: really like herp sets. Um, and I have pros and fours and twos. But I will say, right now, uh, my favorite. Thermostat, and it's a company that's not around anymore, unfortunately. I like Helix. I have um, a Helix Basic that I purchased um, in the 95, 1995 1996 uh, time frame per, specifically for an incubator, um, and I have been using the same. One to hatch every clutch of snakes I've had except for one wow. with wow. this thermostat. And in the year that I didn't hatch it, I used a uh, herp I used a stat and it worked fine. And the reason I didn't is because um, I inadvertently had nicked the probe uh, when I was uh, setting up a different incubator. And I sent it back to Helix, who was still around at the time, and they replaced the probe and recalibrated everything. And so that, to me, for me, that's my favorite uh, thermostat, just because I've been using it forever. It's been reliable. Um, it's, you know, infinitely you can set it. With a, a brass, it sounds like archaic, but you can set it with a brass screw, so you can literally move temperature super slowly. And when you're comparing it with something that's calibrated, you can, you know, you know, put it right in, spot it right in with where you need it to be, and it just, it just runs rock solid. And um, when it when it finally goes, I will be heartbroken.
1: <laughs> you sound like Gary. That's all Gary uses.
2: Um, well, we are smart,
1: Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say old school, but if you want to say smart, that's fine. Yeah.
2: Experience. Right. Right. <laughs> right. That, that's, that's old school and it's, you know, it's one of those, uh, one of those things where if it kind of works, why change it? Um, and I think about it often. As a matter of fact, I think about it every, every single, um, breeding season where I, I have eggs in the incubator and um, I know it's going to
0: happen. And
2: so three years ago I actually started running a Herbstat probe in the incubator. That way, if the Helix kicks out, it's a matter of just plugging the heating element into the into the Herbstat, taking it out of the Helix plugging it into the herb set so that it's ready to go. But, yeah, wow. old school.
1: Very cool.
3: That being said, probe for the incubator, you run it based on the one outside of the box, correct?
2: Uh Yes my i monitor the main chamber temperatures, not the egg box temperatures
1: correct same here same oh, here good
4: me too
2: awesome um so everyone does the they they do you guys do you guys monitor the temperatures in the egg box
3: or do you just I monitor it the main chamber in the air box, but I do not okay. run my thermostat based on the in the box temperature, just for okay. like awareness uh, for myself.
2: Right. And yeah.
3: and what do you use for that, Frank? Oh, I do. Um, so I use my Spy robotics just outside the fan, and that's what I use for my main chamber uh, temperatures. And the ones inside the box and outside of the box, I use calibrated mercury thermometers, and I use a calibrated um, digital thermometer. Okay. Do, like do
0: you
2: know what brand the digital thermometer
3: is? I wish I would have gone downstairs and gotten the exact branding <laughs> of them, but I just make sure that they're... Um, that they're all certified to ensure that they're calibrated officially.
2: Right. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. What what about you, Greg? Do you monitor the temps in the egg box as well? Or do you just follow the main uh the
4: temperature in the main chamber of the incubator? I do, yeah. I, I uh well like I have the same setup that Frank does. I have the, the temperature probe outside the fan of the uh incubator. Um but I, I also have I mean I have I just I might overdo it with the thermometers. <laughs> I have like five <laughs> um, thermometers just because I'm like paranoid to make sure that in case one of them goes wrong, I want to have a maybe a second and third backup as well. But I, I do have a, sure. uh, a, Mer- a a mercury one that's calibrated just outside the egg box that I can just read without having to open anything. I can just take a peek and see where it's at. Um, and then I have a, a digital thermometer with a temperature probe. Uh, that goes inside the egg box, um, and, I, and the brand on that one is called Digisense. It's not terribly expensive. I just wanted something that was okay. calibrated and, you know, could give me an idea of the temperature inside. Just out of curiosity, too. Um, right. And then I have sure. one more that, that that's just hanging around in there just in case on the outside as well. So I think I have three or four thermometers in there. But but you know the one that actually manages the heat in there is is the Herbstat one that's just outside the fan. Well while we do nice. start
3: all of our incubators, we basically uh, move the the calibrated digital and the calibrated mercury ones right next to the Herbstat ones, and we place all them next to each other, and we assure that they're within, like, 0.3 to 0.5 within all of... Um, their numbers, then we position them on their separate uh, locations. Okay,
2: All right, that makes sense. Where are you guys sourcing your um, your your uh, lab calibrated thermometers?
3: Well, Greg mentioned his. I wish I had mine right now, but I'd have to walk downstairs and crawl into okay. my uh, box and look at them right now. Right.
2: I've actually, um, I do the same thing. I think it's kind of like a, I'm I'm pretty sure that, you know, Condro, well, maybe it isn't like Condro folks. I don't know. But, uh, you know, we are kind of like data driven. And, um, so I actually, uh, uh, years ago purchased, um, a product, uh, and it's a, it's a wireless, uh, bluetooth connected uh remote therm remote uh temperature gauge and um they're waterproof which i think is important um Mm -hmm. and the company's called sensor push and so um i have three or i had four of these originally one died on me last year but i have still have three left but i do the same thing so i kind of I have one in the egg box, or if I have multiple egg boxes, one in each egg box and i can i can um do the same thing I can calibrate the the little thermostat um right through my cell phone, calibrate it um and then it'll and then it'll show me trends of temperatures and all that kind of stuff and it also does um it'll also do humidity, but you know humidity can be kind of uh not as Accurate as I feel it truly is, like it might say like my humidity is only 80%, but I have a feeling it's much higher in the egg box than 80%. But I think the temperature is very, very, uh, uh, very accurate once it's calibrated to the main, to my thermostat. And I have a, um, it, it's a, uh, it's called a thermistor system, and mm-hmm. um, refrigeration mechanics use them. And I have a, I have a uh, lab. Uh, calibrated mercury thermometer and then i have electronic probe that's um, calibrated as well and I, it fits into this uh, uh thermistor and so it's in the incubator as well and that's run right next to my uh, main the temperature probe in the main incuba in the main chamber um but you know do you have i don't think you have to do all that kind of stuff but i think it is important to at least verify your temperatures, as Frank, you had said, to, with a, a lab calibrated thermometer just to make sure you're not off by it. Because I, f- I find some things have been off by it as much as a half a degree. I don't think it would be fatal to an egg, but I think it would give you – you you really wouldn't really know when to expect hatchlings. And uh, yeah. some people panic if they go longer than uh, what they're expecting.
0: Here's an yeah, one, interesting
3: one, one. point. Now, your uh, digital ones are they suspended in air or are they suspended in the bottle of fluid? I've been buying the ones with the bottle of fluid because I I think they would correlate a little more to like the density of an egg rather than one mm. that's suspended in air. What have you guys been using? Right,
2: right. Mine is mine is open to air.
4: Okay.
1: As is mine.
3: i really the one with the fluid.
4: Yeah, I don't. I don't have the fluid one. Um, but I I just remembered that after last season, after all the egg hats and everything, um, I I wanted to buy a new, uh, thermometer because I bought this really fancy one last year, and the the thing would just shut off in the incubator because I think the humidity, yeah, had some sort mm. of effect and the battery just kept dying or something was going on with it. So I bought like this waterproof one uh from a company called uh, Cooper Atkins uh, maybe you guys have heard of them mm. but yep. it's called yeah. an aqua it's an uh, it's called aquatuff uh 351 i have it right in front of me i've never even used it i bought it for you know this coming season or when, whenever i might get eggs the next time so i'm kind of curious to see how it holds up but it's hmm. waterproof so i've had that happen so
3: I know this wasn't part of the talking point, um, but Greg and I have been speaking about this for a while, as well as a few other people. Um, But what are you guys doing for incubation temperatures? Because I feel this is something that needs to actually be revised um, as far as my limited experience in comparison to you guys goes.
1: Buddy, you've been doing it for the longest... Buddy, you've been doing it the longest. What do you what do you use? Have you changed anything?
2: Um, I haven't. Um I've I've run um based on my um my helix eighty seven point eight in the main chamber. And then I usually uh my snake A, snake uh, chondro eggs at least normally hatch
3: the Evening of day 50. Okay, and what about your hatch rates? Like, what percentage hatch rates are you getting? Uh, based on um, the
2: 70s, yeah, I would say, um, uh, uh, before I started pumping air into the incubators, I was getting about a 75% hatch rate, and I would say it's closer to 85% right now.
3: Okay. Recently, due to a mistake that I had, I had one of my uh, thermometers go bad um, partway through. And when I corrected the issue, I realized I was incubating cooler. Um, mm. During that point, I was incubating probably about a degree cooler than what I would have wanted to. I've always done 87.5 straight bake Um And I would say I was maybe 86.5, 86.8. And at that point, I was hatching maybe around five days to seven days after the expected 50 to 51 days. And coincidentally, that's when I first started getting 100% hatch rates. Hmm. And Greg and I spoke about this, and I was like, wow, these neonates are, I'm not kidding you, about 50% larger Than my previous neonates Same bloodline, same genetics, same everything Cooler temperatures So I told Greg, you know what? It can be in these guys a little bit cooler But I'm not going to go a whole degree cooler So I started doing at least 87, 86.8 And all of my hatch rates have since improved I'm not kidding about uh, 90% to 100% hatch rates at a cooler temperature, and the neonates have been coming out larger, thereby making it easier with feeding and everything else. Cause I don't have to now try to feed a, a smaller, uh, day-old pink, and they can actually ingest larger ones just because they're simply larger. And it seems like they have more reserve than the previous neonates that I've had before. Greg, do you want to right. chime in on this? Well, Frank, yeah, I, uh, I would just
1: interrupt and, and say just real quick, Frank, the only thing that I've ever noticed that has correlated with larger hatchling size has been larger egg size. I mean, I've had some clutches that have had smaller egg masses that have been bigger, and so the babies have been bigger. Uh, but, you know, if you have a small egg, you're going to get a small baby, and if you have a bigger egg, you're going to get a larger baby, I think, for the most part. Yeah, I'm not sure if that... If that has anything to do with I wish, incubation. Tests. I wish
3: I weighed eggs. However, I don't weigh eggs, but I'm not sure if the large, if the extended incubation time may allow the neonates to uh, grow a little bit larger. Um, maybe I should start weighing those eggs, but these are, these are eggs that whether they're from a smaller female, which tend to have smaller eggs. Um, yeah, for sure. And in comparison to larger females, the neonates have still been coming out larger just by changing the incubation temps. So I just wanted to point that out just in case if anyone else has made those kind of changes and it has improved at least my, um, outcomes substantially. Hmm.
4: Yeah. I mean, uh, last year I incubated 87 degrees straight all the way through, um, except for like the last two weeks, Um, yeah, you guys know that the egg temperatures, you know, they, they kind of gradually increase once they get towards the finish line. So, you know, towards the end, the inside the egg box was reading around 87.3. Um, and they were, they, they all hatched on day 53. Um, but I got nine out of 12 hatched. Um, a couple were dead in the egg and, you know, one of them was kind of deformed and one egg or well, one was dead in the egg, one was deformed, and then th- there was one that just went bad halfway through. So, you know, I think maybe we need maybe more of a larger sample size to, to, to see if that really has a, a huge effect or not. You know, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I'm one to think that, you know, when, we talk, <clears throat> when we're talk, when we talking about fractions of a degree, I just don't believe that a lot of the stuff that we're using to monitor is that specific to really say right. that you know, my my thermometer, my thermostat set at eighty seven point three is any different than yours set at, at eighty eight, you know, or eighty seven yeah. or eighty six point eight. point eight. Yeah. You know, no, no, none only, of us are running would... scientific labs here. You know,
3: right. yeah, and that, that, they've all got a margin of only... error, usually a,
4: a degree or half a degree of anyway. So yeah, yeah at, at what, best. What
3: I do know. How I do know that they are running cooler is because once i 've started uh, on purpose setting these temperatures to a cooler uh, setting, my hatch date has been prolonged upwards to five to seven days, so I know it 's running cooler than previously, and yeah. i 've seen more vigorous and larger it. so that 's the one thing that does um, back up that the temperatures are cooler than previous set tense. Yeah, I
4: think I think someone on on Facebook maybe maybe you guys remember there was a post about this a, a while back and I think somebody was incubating it like or not on purpose, I think accidentally or something like at 85 degrees or something and they got I remember. Did you guys see that?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, vaguely but I can't remember what the what the outcome was.
4: Yeah, me either. I I, I can't remember. I, I think they hacked on like day 65 or 70, though, something pretty crazy. Um I do know that at least some of them survived. I, I can't remember who put it up though. Maybe maybe it was Dave uh, Brahms had a post about it too, I think.
1: Well, I think, you know, the bottom line is there's certainly a range where these things can be incubated successfully. Um, you just don't want to be crazy outside of those ranges. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, you know, I think there's just so many reasons why you could get, you know nine out of 12 or 12 out of 12 to you know hatch there's just so many reasons it's just hard to pin you know you want to pin it on incubation temperature but there's just so many other reasons why those things those eggs could go bad or the baby could be deformed or you know and, 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 and i'm just i'm saying this not based on really my experience in incubating green trees but my experience in incubating literally thousands of ball python eggs. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've had consistent incubator temps and conditions for, you know, 20 years. And I'll, I still can't figure out why i have an entire ball python uh, clutch go bad and sitting right next to it in the same incubator, you know, that nine other clutches go all the way. You know, I just, mm-hmm. there's just so many different reasons. So I think what it's, I think it's um, 87 to 88, you know, I won't even put a half degree in there. I, I set it at 87 and a half, but there's variance enough variance in my incubator that it'll vary by a degree easily, but 87 to 88 degrees for everything. Yeah. And, and I've actually had better, if you just looked at my, numbers I've had higher success rates hatching green trees than I've than I've had hatching ball pythons. I've never had an entire green tree clutch go bad in the incubator. Never. But I ha- I have two or three clutches of ball pythons that go bad every year.
3: Where what are you doing? Um, explain to me your incubator. How many levels is it? And um are you doing the same thing that we do running the thermostat just outside the fan as well? Is that what you're running your incubator by? Yeah,
1: so I've got like a, a converted Snapple machine that's okay. Six six feet tall. And I'll just tell okay. you the ver you know, it's well insulated, it's well circulated and the the variance between the bottom and the top mm-hmm. degree-wise is half a degree, you know. So it's That's good. it's very it's very consistent from top to bottom. Okay. But I just think you, you know my moving, point is:
3: Are you moving your eggs throughout the incubation, like towards the end? Are you moving them the um, the eggs from the top shelf to like the bottom, which would presumably be uh, cooler, or you just leave them where they're at the entire time?
1: No, I'm a big proponent of hands-off. You know, once they go in the box, I don't mess with them. I don't touch them. I don't candle them. I don't weigh them. I just put them mm-hmm. in there. And the only reason I mess with an egg box is if there's condensation on the lid. I'll open that lid and, and dry the condensation off. But otherwise, once they go in, they, you know, they stay in exactly where they're at.
3: In the same way, especially the first three to four weeks.
1: Yeah, I think there's – man, I I just have seen so many people, I think, that have lost eggs because they're they're opening up all the time. They're looking a lot. They're analyzing, weighing, overthinking. Just, you know, get a stable system and put them in there and leave them alone.
3: Yeah, I agree. I'm not sure if this is true or not, but – they do have some degree of movement in there. And I've had some neonates who have tied themselves up on their umbilical cords and either strangling themselves or even causing like a depression within their spinal column. And I'm not sure if that's from too much stimuli while they're in there. Hmm. So that's why I don't touch them at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think there are just so many variables that we don't have control of, you know, just, Control the ones we can control, but there's so many things we don't have control of very true, all right, We're getting off of our outline we've We've got more stuff to talk about that's <laughs> yeah, okay. it's okay. This is all good stuff. it's good stuff absolutely okay let's go um we're talking about favorites, let's go purchase. What's your favorite perch for adults?
2: Oh gosh, again, you know, I'm just showing my roots here. I still like a PVC perch, not scorched. Just actually, not even PVC. I like C PVC. What's that? Um, that that is the that's the PVC that you can actually put drinking water through, and it doesn't pick up any contaminants. No hmm. contaminants or leach from the plastic, so that's what I use. It's you if you find it if you look for it in a big box uh, store like Lowe's or Home Depot. It's actually it'll be a tan color. It's not a it's not a white color, or it'll, it'll be like a tan color.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, and you can get that different sizes, half inch all the way. You know. Yes. Up to an inch yes. or whatever. Yep, sure can. It's so not as rigid yourself?
4: as
2: PVC, though. Yes, I do. Yep. Okay. I like it because right. it's inexpensive. Um, if I want to just, you know, get rid of a perch because it's just looking old and disgusting, um, uh, or if I just want new perches, it's just it's just easy to go do it and have it and be able to be able to use it.
1: Yeah. So you don't clean it; you just throw it away. Well, I do clean it. I definitely do clean it. Um,
2: But, you know, after a while, it just gets kind of a little funky. And I think, uh, you know, I don't know whether the snake cares or not, but I do. So I will will recycle it. I don't throw it away. I will recycle it.
1: All right. Okay. All right. Governor Cuomo. Okay. thank you. (laughs) Frank, what about you? what do you what do you like personally? I do the same
3: thing PVCs. Yeah. I wish I could say C V C P V C PVC in front of it but um, <laughs> now I feel like I need to switch over to tan ones but just PVC for me so and you I make your, your own uh, you do clean them good yeah I go to I go to Home Depot or Lowe's and I and I measure up and I cut them unless it's the ones from the pvccages.com. they yes. provide uh, the purchase for me everything else I make my own okay great and Greg what about you
4: so I, I don't use, I used to use uh, PVC, uh, but I use uh, these, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it, there's, they're called uh, Astron Rods. Have you seen these before? Yeah, um, yeah, I yeah, get them yeah. on, from, from, from U.S. Plastics, um, and I just order, like, 50 feet of it, and I cut it up, and, you know, I, I fit it to the cage. Um, but I really like them. They're heavy, and they're non-porous. I mean, they're, you know, they're pretty cool. Um, and I like how they look. They're black, which is kind of pretty sleek It matches with the uh, with the cage color too so
1: so are those the ones that are in kind of like a hexagon shape or are they completely round or what uh,
4: I have the round ones but I think they do come in, in, a, in a hexagon shape um, but, but I, I get the round ones
1: okay and are they easy to cut what do you use to cut them
4: oh I use uh, well in order to, to cut them to size I, I just use a, a, a table saw and okay. uh, and then to, the, the the tough part is to cut the, uh, the the edges in it to to hang on on the perch holder. So I I use a, a miter saw ah. for that. Actually, it's a process. <laughs> but,
1: yeah, sounds but, way you know, too complex for me. You only can me. do it once. What's that? It sounds way too complex for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. After I
4: bought after I bought the first fifty feet. You know I was like, all right well, now I gotta just go go through with it. I'm stuck with it now, so it, it was a learning process' I'd never really cut anything up and you know fitting it perfectly, but you know it works all
1: right awesome and i'll just uh I'll just end this part of favorites by saying that uh I ran into uh i I've used like you guys the p v c uh, purchase from PVCcages.com. They, you know, they come with with the cages when you order them. But um, I recently found uh, Mike Francis from Recon Arboreals, who makes a similar perch. He scorches them, but he also twists them. And I think mm-hmm. Gary he has started to use those those perches as well. I really like those. They um aesthetically, they they look nice. And, uh, the, the texture and the turning of the PVC, I think it makes them maybe gives them a little bit of an advantage when they shed, they've got some, some texture to rub that, that their skin against. So I think, I think I would say those are my, my go-to adult purchase.
4: Yeah. That's the one thing I wish I would have, I need to figure out a way to do that with, with the ones that I have. Cause they're. I mean, these are, really really hard you know they're thick so i I need something that's uh you know strong enough to cut into them. that'll make a difference so i've I've, I've always thought about that
1: Hmm. all right what about um what about purchase for neos and juveniles in your tubs frank what do you what do you like to use
3: um, initially for years I was just using um plastic hangers, you know, cut to size. But yep. Brian Colin started making us um a few really nice ones with this three D printer and they're basically the same thickness as our previous um um closet uh, hangers. However they have a little bit more texture to them, which I find helps them shed a little bit easier. A little more tough to clean, but I think it's better for the neonics all around. Okay, and what are you using to attach those? Oh, so the way he constructs them, they're basically like in what's the exact word? Like like in a square type pattern. So they're fit to the tub, so they actually okay. just hang on the little lip of the inside of the tub.
1: Nice. So Greg, are you using those those same kind of purchase?
4: Yeah,
3: most most
4: of my my hatchling tubs have have those perches and you know huge shout out to brian collins he made me these pretty cool custom made ones that have my park and parkland Condro's uh wording on them uh, and he sent those over so those are really really cool and it's nice because you don't have to you know there's no glue there's no you know command strips Mm -hmm. you just place them in there and they fit perfectly it's all it's all custom so it's it's really nice
1: yeah, is Brian doing that for anybody that contacts him and says, hey, make me some purchase, or is that just kind of for you guys? might
3: have to start uh, sending an email or a message to him. And if yeah, yeah. I
4: think he's only done it for us, but, I mean, I, I don't know. You'd have to ask. I mean, we can ask him to see if he, he'd be interested in selling some. I'm sure he would, you know. Yeah.
1: Buddy, that sounds way too high tech for you. What what do you use in your tub? It does. It
2: is way too high tech. I'm um, still I'm still using uh, plastic coat hangers to cut cut the size.
1: Yeah, me too. It's just uh, you
2: know, it, it's not that um, I really like some. I really like a lot of the new stuff out there, but you know, when you have a couple hundred pre-cut. Um, classic perches that you can, uh, you know, clean, you know, and, and reuse. It's it's just tough to kind of go that route. But I do like, I really do like the idea that I don't need to attach something to the inside of a tub. You can just put it in there and it, you know, just fits the inside of a tub. So I do like that
3: aspect. That's the beauty of I'm it. not there and yet. One thing. One thing he also does, he also created a um, like a small receptacle where you can actually put in a small water bowl at the same level where the perch. So for neonates, which, um, as I find, don't really want to ingest as much water as they should, it being right there up top at the same level kind of helps them out too.
1: Yeah, nice. That's a great idea.
3: I'll send you guys a photo. Well, Greg should because his look a lot nicer with the uh, parking car Yeah, I can, or, send, I can send you a photo of the,
4: of, of, the ones, of the ones we have. They're they're really cool.
3: Yeah, um, or post it. Buddy, yeah, post it. it.
1: Yeah, post it in the M V F group. I, I, okay, I will.
4: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, buddy, I, I I'm surprised. I thought you might be using the purchase from 1995 or something.
0: <laughs> 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 Those are
4: coat uh, hangers, the, the except or,
1: they're, the except they're was... wood coat hangers, Greg. They're wood, not plastic. <laughs> wood. Sealed wood. wood. Um, <laughs> actually, the
2: uh, I actually posted a uh, – I've recently covered some photos, and I have a picture of my first chondro in a neodesh uh, two-foot cube with the original two-inch – <laughs> the the two inch P V C uh
0: oh, cow. Cow. <laughs> but, Yeah, like two a, inches. Like um,
2: <laughs> exactly. Not only was it good for your chondro but if someone broke into your house you could use it for personal defense. Uh two so, <laughs> 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 and, in and just looking at how big that thing was, I was like, Oh goodness. I think you know it's but that's you know, that's what we did back then and so we've learned and and yeah, but, yeah, so now I'm not using any of the uh, two-inch size PVC
3: anymore. <laughs> oh, I was I was in glass enclosures with the reptile fogger with all the above mistakes you could think of. You oh, yeah? You live and you learn.
2: This is true.
1: True. Bill, what about you? Listen, I'm old school like you. I, I, I like those plastic uh, hangers, and um, you know, I use those little one-inch secure um, little um, s- stick-on secure things that you can just you, you can plug almost any size coat hanger into it. Uh, right. So you know, just use those, and on my way. Oh, are you talking like... about? <clears throat> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Are you, the the little uh, pegs you're referring to, those are the ones you get at Home Depot, right? They're like a half inch with a little, with the, with the uh, they're square. They're with used little, to secure electrical light. wire, I believe.
1: Yes, yes. Um, Frank's exactly right. They're one inch. They call them, I think, just mounting squares, and they're used to secure electrical yeah. wire. They're flat. They've got an adhesive back yeah. to it. Just pop it on there, and then it's got, um, inside it's got kind of a round, shape to it and then you just you make the you cut the hanger a little bit longer than it should be so when you pop it in there it doesn't rotate right yeah it's got a little bend in the hanger and um you know that's just it's so simple it's just it's just mm-hmm. just so simple yeah. so that's what i've used
4: very cool
2: Okay, so I think we kind of already may have hit on this a little bit, but I don't think Bill and I have, have put our input into it, but we can re- revisit it as well. What about your favorite heating element for adults? We can start with you, Frank.
3: Uh, I already mentioned it before, and I'm Pro Products all the way. Um, for my adult enclosures, I use Pro Products radiant heat panels. Um, I believe they're 50-watt, um in strength, but I call him every single time. I tell him, you know, where I keep my cages, the size of the enclosures, and he'll tell you what size um, heating element you need for the cage. I believe they're 50 watts though for my three by two by twos and two by two by twos.
2: And Greg, I believe you may have mentioned this earlier as well,
4: but what what about you? Yeah, I also use uh, Pro products key panels for for the adults. Um and I actually have have the last invoice in front of me. I just happened to find it. <laughs> and uh it's a sixty watt is the one I use. Okay. Um it's like is there a hundred bucks? Yeah they're a hundred dollars. Pro products. Okay. Um yeah yeah the same one I think so never had an issue with them.
2: And that's a good thing. <laughs> Reliability is important, right? Yep, exactly. And, Bill, what are you using for your adults to heat their enclosures? Did we lose you, Bill? I might have lost it. We might have. He's showing he's still in the studio. Maybe he's maybe he's uh, checking on his royal pythons. Um, <laughs> but so I'll tell you guys that I I use the same product. I use uh, Pro Products heat panels. Um, I I have tried the ones that Reptile Basics made as well,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I still have a couple of those. But my preferred one is the Pro products. Um, I've just had zero issues with them. I have some now that are, uh, you know, 12 or 13 years old, and they're still going strong. And uh, hopefully they continue to go that way. I think it's a good product.
3: Um, so... Bill, are you back? Old? That's why I forgot the... Uh... The wattage on them for so long since I've had
2: to buy some. <laughs> right. Yep. My wattage varies um, depending on my cage sizes because I don't have a uniform cage size, but, um,
4: mm-hmm.
2: you know, it it just depends on what, what, what Bob tells me I need is what I purchase.
0: Right.
3: Yeah,
2: exactly. Listen to the He's master. a pleasure
3: to deal with. Like, he wouldn't mind sitting there and speaking to you for one hour after you've already ordered the e-panel.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely a definitely a good guy. And um to, he gives you some he's just been around a long time. Um and the good thing I will say this about the, the pro products, he panels is that they are UL listed, which means they yes. undergo very stringent um safety testing mm-hmm. to make sure that they're not going to overheat or short out and that they, they're not going to burn your house down. Um, and they're also actually, uh, in, uh, the specifications in Europe are more stringent, and they also meet the European specifications as well. So it's a very safe product. It's very reliable. Um, it, you know, it's definitely not as cheap as a red light bulb, um, but I think that <laughs> in the long run, um, you'll be happy with the longevity and, and the reliability of them.
4: Yeah, and, and they have. I'm, I'm looking at the. Uh, I have the thing right in front of me, so I'm looking at his uh his little pamphlet he sends over. And the first thing it says is it can't catch fire, can't, can't catch on, or cause a fire. Period. So, and they have a 15 year exactly. warranty too.
3: Right. My warranty is almost up. I need to order some new ones. I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Get a few more.
3: Um, <laughs> exactly. So.
2: How do you guys? How are you heating your rack systems, the cages that you have your neos, your neonates in, and your juveniles?
3: So I'm um, I'm using the spy Robotics herbstats on everything, and obviously in the racks. Then there um the heat tape um that's built um by the same people that produce the um my incubators ongoing so with the same company as well um, and it's basically the same thing for my dock enclosures as well
2: okay
4: yeah
3: so, so my racks, I
4: same thing I, I use the uh, I, I do back heat you know flex watt heat tape mm-hmm. it usually, or usually already comes you know pre-installed so it's just kind of a plug and play kind of thing so um, I think that's Probably what I would think most people use in their racks I would think.
2: Right. And I think um that the the heat tape been around forever and there's a lot of if you actually uh, if you will talk to Bob about it, he'll give you his uh, impression about it as a product. Um but I use uh the back heat as well i use it's flex watt um and um do you guys manufacture your own or do you buy it already ready to go when it comes with the the rack system
3: yeah i get it ready
4: to go
2: okay gotcha yeah i prefer to do the same too i think it just you know it's manufactured a little bit better and the they they do make a clip system where you can clip the heat tape um, together with a, a clip, and it'll energize and everything. But I think that having it professionally made, I think it's just safer, um, less less user error.
4: Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, knowing myself, I'd probably screw it up, and the tanks <laughs> would cook at 300 degrees or something overnight. So <laughs> I'd rather not risk it. Right. I yep. mean, yep. would be my safe than, sorry.
3: once upon a time. But um not worth the time and effort.
2: Yeah, I think um unless you unless you are really skilled and you do it regularly, um, which is not me, um, it's gonna take l- longer and may wind up cost you more in the long run. I think so? All right, so let's 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 continue on. Um, let's jump ahead a little bit. Um, so, tell me about what do you guys use for what's your favorite cage cleaner substance, if you use any. Greg, I'll
3: let you go first. You have a funny story about this.
4: Um, yeah. You guys clean your cages? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so <laughs> I I use, well, I guess I'll start at the beginning. I use uh, Lysol wipes um, and, you know, dish soap. Um, but I, I did buy a product that's actually very good. Maybe it's too good. It's called Virex. <laughs> and, and they use hmm. it at, uh, they, they use it in the hospitals and stuff a lot. But what I didn't know is I was actually you know, cleaning basically the entire cage, and the, and the doors I have on the cage are acrylic. So I, I would spray the acrylic with this Virex. And I was, sometimes I would just let it sit overnight if it was a new cage and there wasn't any snake in it or whatever. So, <laughs> so I left it overnight.
0: <laughs> and the next
4: day, the entire acrylic was completely cracked, and like it, it, it like decomposed. It was unbelievable. Wow. I, yeah, I, I had no idea like how potent this stuff was. So I had to call BOA and I had to get Jeff to ship me an, a new door for my for my case because the <laughs> other one just completely fell apart. So I still have a ton of his stuff, but now I'm like, don't want to use it, you know? <laughs> right.
3: Now I know why Greg
4: gifted me some Virex. Yeah, well, that was before. I, I gave I gave a bottle. Frank, you got to try this stuff. It's great, you know. And then
3: like a, a week later, I found out that
4: it was actually not as great as I thought it was.
3: He called me yeah. up and he's like, "How are your cage doors holding up?" I'm like, "Good." Why? <laughs> yeah. and he's like, "Well, virus cracked all mine in half." I'm like, "Well, thank God I'm using uh, glass." Yeah, yeah, exactly. So
4: never. But it was only on the acrylic portion that, cra- like, you know, the PVC was fine. It was, it was the acrylic. It just had this reaction to it. Um, and when I told Jeff about it at BoaFile, he, he heard, you know, same thing happened, not not to spray it or, or don't leave it for a long period of time because it'll just destroy the acrylic. So. Wow.
3: Okay. But I, I do the I, will note that. I do Lysol wipes. I do Lysol wipes, and then I follow it up with Dawn antibacterial um, just to remove the residue. You know, I need the Lysol for at least five to 15 minutes, and then I go through with some Dawn antibacterial or some water. I scrub that all down, and then I just wipe it all up with um, paper towels, and I get rid of the excess.
2: Okay. What um so use is it dish soap that you're using, Frank, or is it just regular to soap to follow
3: up the the lifestyle wipes, I do a donor dish soap, yeah. Okay, got gotcha. it. And I've done this and I've done this for years and I, I don't see any cross contamination. and I'm in the right. healthcare field, so if you look at the number way to prevent cross contamination, it has been and still is hand washing. And washing between yeah, and, washing all the equipment in between use, and you'll never go wrong
2: awesome. so I use a product um it's called Maxima two five six and it is a hospital grade disinfectant, but it has never uh had a reaction at the virus' has had for you, Greg. Um, But I've also, so I kind of, but I do, I do swap out. Um, I feel it's important because no matter how good a disinfectant you have, there are some microorganisms that can build resistance to it. So uh, I do swap out and uh, use Nova San and um, and the Maxima 256. I also, strangely enough, I also use uh, Dawn dish soap. Uh, as well. I actually, with the Nova sand, you can mix, I, I mixed on just soap, hot water, and Nova sand together. Um, when I'm doing like a deep clean, I'm doing a lot of scrubbing. That's, that's what, exactly what I use. Um, and then I rinse it with, with just water until everything comes clean.
3: That mechanical debridement is, you know, to get rid of most um, bacteria and viruses that are in the cage and this, you know. I think you're doing a great job. Right. Yeah.
4: Hey, so, so buddy, is, is that, um, that you said it was Nova, Nova Is that what it's called? Yes. Is is that, is that readily available? Uh, or is it, uh, one of those things where you have, or is it out of stock or,
2: um, it's, that's like the, um, that's the, the company's name. It's chlorhexidine is what it is.
3: Oh, chlorhex. Oh, okay. Okay.
2: Yep. Okay. Yep.
3: That's actually one of the surgical uh, yeah. scrubs that they use. Either that or they use betadine. So that's one of the two. So right. you have like an allergy to iodine, and that's the next go-to uh, disinfectant that they use for surgical scrubs. Yeah, nice. I, I
4: imagine that that stuff might be hard to find now with with the pandemic it going is. on. It is. I would I, I would think. Yeah. Just like just like gloves are. Because I use gloves right. between. In between, you know, all of my snakes, um, but I mean, you you can find gloves, but they're like, you know, at 100% markup because people are just making profit off of it. But you know, on Amazon, you can you can find some gloves, but it's just it's crazy, the the shortage, right? You know?
2: Yes, I think we're all feeling that pinch, and I actually believe it or not, um, I've actually bought food service handling gloves. Which are just yeah. giving you a barrier, um, I hate and those, they're very. I hate them too. Um, they're they're not great to work with, but if you're doing like, I, I use, uh, you know, change gloves in between each snake, do hand hygiene, um, mm-hmm. but you know, you talk, you know, if you look at the cost of nitrile gloves or vinyl gloves right now, like Greg has alluded to, it's
5: mm-hmm. you know the
2: markup's been incredible, but the food service yeah. gloves. If you're just, like, if I'm actually, like, scrubbing something, I wouldn't use them because they're not going to hold up. But if I'm just doing, um, taking the snake out, doing a water bowl change, something like that, I will use them. And you can get, you can purchase, like, a thousand pair of those for about 15 or 20 bucks. Oh, wow. So, until we get through where we are now, my nitro gloves um, are kind of reserved for real heavy-duty uh, cleaning scenarios. Yeah, so, so not the best option, going, but it's better than nothing, I think.
3: Going back to this, and you mentioned that you do hand washing between your gloves. If you have to choose gloves or hand washing, the most important thing to do is hand washing. Back when right. I was in school, um, in college, I remember they made us all wear our nitrile gloves, and they sprayed a solution which would glow under the black light. They made us don the gloves, then we rubbed the solution all over the gloves, made us remove the gloves, and everyone had to place their hands beneath the black light. Everyone's hands glowed up. After hand washing, you saw almost almost no light up on anyone's hands. So that just goes to show even these gloves that you're purchasing from different manufacturers may have little holes in them or you may even have some bacteria or virus um get on your wrist. You know, because the gloves only go as far as your wrist though. But right. nothing, nothing nothing can like replace a good hand washing.
2: Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. Yeah,
4: yeah I've been, absolutely I used the nitro gloves. In, in a while, but the i I found vinyl gloves on Amazon for a decent price. I, I got a thousand for eighty bucks. And that's like the cheapest. That's I've a really seen. good price. Yeah. Yeah. And they're still they're still available. It's a company well they just they're just it's just, it says just as basic on the front of it. But if you put vinyl synthetic they're vinyl synthetic exam gloves. They're latex free, powder free and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. um 80 bucks for a thousand so I I jumped on it nice
2: yeah that that's a really good price. Um, I'll have to look at that because the la- I just looked um i just I'm ready to do an order, and I was looking today, and the cheapest I could find was one twenty per thousand for vinyl, so oh well, I'll yeah, take a well, look I hopefully I, I can find
4: I, I can send you the link if if you want cause i I ordered them pretty yeah. recently, so
2: awesome, yep, perfect, so guys, we are getting close to the eleven o'clock hour. But I want to I want to do two more questions and then we'll wrap it and then maybe and then we'll, let's bring you back and we can probably add some other stuff in here um, and then uh, finish up what we did tonight and then maybe add some other stuff in here. But I, it, it, I have to say it's been a pretty fun show and uh, it's kind of funny how we are different on a lot of things, but then we're also similar.
3: So are you ready yep. for the
2: final two questions?
3: Let's go. Drum Okay. Here we go.
2: (laughs) So, um, favorite snake book.
3: What is the more complete conjo for (laughs) 1000?
2: Okay. Okay. Makes sense. What about you, Um,
3: Greg?
4: I hate to agree with them. Just, (laughs) <laughs> cuz we're not always agreeing but man I, the more the more complete conjo for me is that's the best book out there and it's just cuz the I, for I like the historical pictures of all the snakes you get the ID numbers you know some of the information might be a, a little bit out of date but I think it's mm-hmm. still applicable um so that for sure is is probably my favorite
3: well, what about you
2: so <laughs> so re- remember what you said Greg about uh 1999
3: this is one of the questions
2: yeah. earlier. So we're going to go back even further. Um, for me, it was uh, the reproductive husbandry of bellows and pythons by Ross and Marchek. Um, that book, and I don't know whether you guys are familiar with it. Um, I bought that book in hardback, and probably in two years it had fallen apart completely. I'm on my third copy, um, and they're now hard to. It's really hard to find it in hardback. Um, and that book for me, and I believe for the, actually the entire, anyone that breeds pythons, I think that that book, um, was breaking in that it kind of, in one area, in one, one location, you were able to read about temperature cycling. Um, you were able to understand breeding, the mechanics of breeding, and um, how to artificially incubate eggs. And I think that that book's popularity led to the initial captive-bred python boon in the 90s, and it definitely helped me in the 90s um, be able to produce pythons in captivity. So for me, it's still probably the most influential uh, snake book for me
4: yeah well, i'll, I need, need, to, to, I'll, do I'll need to get a copy of that some, sometime. i'll look for one
2: yes yep you um there's a paperback version it it's a blue a blue cover you can find it occasionally but it's it's a good book um it's, and you know i it lays a foundation for a lot of things that um we're still using today mm-hmm. so we'll finish yeah, with the last cool. question and um you know and you're you're participating right now in the form of social media so social media is very uh influential in our in our hobby right now so what which uh out which uh social media platform do you think is uh most influential right now for condros
3: Frank, do you want to take this one first? (laughs) Well, for me, it's um, Facebook, and I go on the Morelia Veritas Forum Facebook version, and this is basically a spin-off of the main one uh, that was on the Internet. I'm not sure um, if it's from the same group. I think Talk was the person that took over the one on the Internet. Um, but that's right. my number one. And then the green tree Python, Morelia Veritas, uh forum as well on Facebook. Those are the two that I frequent and post on.
4: Okay. Excellent.
3: What about you, Greg? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's when you say
4: influential, I think definitely Facebook is probably, uh, the most influential just because there's so many members and it's like, it's very, very active. Um, but for, I mean, for historical purposes, you know, I love the old MVF online. You, know, you go up there, oh, yeah. and you, I use the search. I use the search bar almost every single day, just looking for pictures of certain snakes that, I, that I'm for for lineage reasons or just topics that I might have a question on. It's, it's for me that's that's a wealth of information. But you know, for influential bringing new people into the hobby, I think Facebook is mm. has done a great job with it. You know, although I do wish the old MVF would start you know maybe get some more activity but maybe that's that's long gone i guess
3: i absolutely love the old and unfortunately um all the photos had to be uploaded to photo bucket and none of them are there yeah. right now so that's the only thing right. like you can't look at the historic photos and no one loves uh to look at the photos more than you know anyone that's new coming onto the hobby or even myself who's been in there a long time and everyone else, you know, so that way you know what to look for, what bloodlines you want to emulate and what goals you want to achieve in the hobby.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's some photos still on there, um, but I know a lot of the photo bucket ones are gone, which is, you know, kind of annoying, but there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, But one more, I just remembered um, Hmm? Rico's website, Signalherp.com is also mm-hmm. a really good resource. Um, and I don't think the website is operational, but you can go on, I, I just looked at it today. Um, you can go on web archive and you can, mm-hmm. you could still access the website um, in, in this internet archive. It's actually really, really cool. I don't know if you've done it before, but it's its nice seeing all of uh, Rico's animals and there's a ton, ton of information on there too.
3: I see oh, the awesome. website like two or five hits a day. Just by myself.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I think I think we all did that. Um there's a lot of good stuff there too. Just uh individual animal pictures as well, where you could see a lot of cool stuff. I think the headed chondra is on there. Black-headed canary is yeah. on there somewhere too. It is,
4: yeah. Yeah. I saw I was looking at it today and the on the and, and it's you know, it's nicely labeled, you know, the tabs. He's got blue line, you can click here for blue line, cofiao, localities, they're all listed. So it's really nice. Yep. Very
2: good. Um, Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say Facebook with a caveat and that, then that is um, I like, I do like, I like Instagram for the fact that it's just a lot of photos and like, there's not a lot of other things with it. Um, Sometimes with, you know, when you go jump over to look at a condor forum, sometimes there's uh, some drama. Um, And I think Instagram kind of just gets you to the, here's a really nice looking snake and you can enjoy just that snake. You know, you don't have to see any surrounding drama that might be involved with that animal, but I do agree. Facebook um, definitely has opened up the the beauty of these animals and the mystique of these animals, to the people who, you know, maybe aren't even true snake or reptile fans, but, it, but it's opened up to them as well. So I think it's kind of, you know, right now it is the most influential social media platform uh, for chondros.
3: Yeah, yeah, the I, best I part agree. about Facebook <laughs> is you can elaborate on the bloodlines. I'm a pedigree fanatic, so I love speaking about the bloodlines <laughs> and which one's bred to which because, you know, if you understand the history, you understand right um, the components that was utilized to make certain bloodlines, and you can reproduce these animals, you know? You can't build a Ferrari with, with Hyundai parts, you know what I mean?
4: This is true, absolutely. Yeah, 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 I, I think Instagram yeah. is great. I love Instagram. I you know, just for the sake you can just post pictures and you like it and you move on. There's you don't have a hundred people arguing about why they need a Reptifogger fogger or something, you know. So
0: that's
4: <laughs> right. I, right. I try to avoid yeah. those, those conversations.
2: Yes. Yep. They can they can they can put you in a bad spot quickly. <laughs> yeah. So um we're going to end it here, guys, but I'll, before we leave, so obviously uh, people may want to get a hold of you to talk about uh, animals you may have available. Maybe they have a question about something you had talked about this evening uh, regarding what, what your favorite things are. So uh, we'll start with you, Greg. How how can someone get a hold of you if they wanted to reach out to you and ask about maybe a parent in the future or uh a clarif-
4: clarification of something we talked about this evening. Yeah, so I I do get messages, you know, daily from people uh who are interested in some animals. So, um usually, you know, if you can you can direct message me on on Instagram or Facebook um at uh Parkland Condros. Um and I've answered pretty quick. I'm always on there looking for stuff, so that is that's probably the best way to get a hold of me.
3: All right. And myself, Thank you. I'm purely a hobbyist, but you can reach me uh, via Instagram or through Facebook with my full name Francis Gatone via AOL dot com. Or you can just search my name on Facebook or Instagram or just shoot me a message and you know talk conjos or whatever maybe. Pleasure to talk yeah. to. For anyone. Frank has
4: the has the best email address on the planet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I
3: also have a Gmail, by the way.
1: Yeah. It's Francis Gatsong
3: at AOL.com. <laughs> okay.
4: <laughs> as long as it works, right? That's right. Yeah, I, I I wish mine was that simple. There you go. Okay. This has been a pleasure. All to right, guys. You guys.
2: Yes, absolutely. I've, uh, Bill had some technical difficulties; was not able to join back in with us, um, or he was tired and needed to take a nap. Who knows? Um, but um, I will say thank you both for taking time out to join us. Um, it was a really fun show, and I would like to get you guys back on so we can finish up the questions that we didn't address and maybe add a few more.
3: It would have yeah, two hours is not enough time.
2: I know, right? It, does, it goes by incredibly fast.
3: I
4: know. It's I, been I, a pleasure. On, thank you man. for reaching out. I'll- I was like, man, two hours. How are we going to fill the time?
3: And here we are almost two and a
4: half hours later. <laughs> right. And not even
2: done. Yeah, but not wait, even done. wait, Give so me five more minutes. minutes.
3: Um, before we go, <laughs> I'm just
0: kidding. <laughs> yes. Good, Frank. Frank, you there?
3: Oh, no, I was joking. <laughs> oh, okay.
2: <laughs> All right, my friends. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll see you on Facebook.
3: Thank you, All you so right. much. Happy holidays. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, Thanks, same Bill. to you guys. All right. Yep. All right.
2: Thank you. Bye. 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 And that is a wrap for GTP Keeper Radio, episode number 30. Our favorite Condra-related things with Francis Gaton and Greg Waltz. Uh, unfortunately, Bill is not here for the ending. He had some te- technical difficulties. Uh, But stay tuned. We have an episode planned for the future coming up uh, before the end of January. Have a good evening, everyone. Thank you.